Hello and welcome to the Made of People podcast. I'm Andy Kroll. This first season is brought to your ears as part of 2020's Alt Brighton Ruby. Thanks to Cookpad and Free Agent for their invaluable support and sponsorship through a weird year for me and the conference. In this podcast, I'm talking to speakers from this year's online event around the topic of their talk. The video of each talk will be linked from the show notes. Although if you haven't watched the talks, this will probably still make sense as a conversation between two humans in a weird time. Cookpad love Brighton Ruby and are supporting again for the fifth year running. They run the world's largest recipe community with over 100 million average monthly users, all on their Ruby platform. Learn more about them at cookpadteam.com. In this episode, I try and get Josh, a senior developer at Dev, to further persuade me to buy an iPad to do my day-to-day coding. The free agent team are a friendly bunch with a single goal, making small businesses happier and more successful by putting them in control of their finances with award-winning accounting software. Keep an eye on freeagent.com forward slash careers for upcoming roles. Hi, Josh. Hi, Andy. <laughs> there we go. Completely natural sounding introduction there. Very natural. Um, I'm quite pleased to have you on. Obviously, your talk was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And now that we are going to have a podcast with uh, two white guys talking about Apple stuff, I really feel like I've graduated into the uh, Premier League of podcasts because that is the definition of a podcast, I think. This is a really important niche that we're, we're <laughs> filling here. I don't want to joke. It's ridiculous. Uh, the old joke <laughs> is, what do you call a group of geese? It's a gaggle. I think it's a gaggle of geese. What do you call a group of white men? A podcast. <laughs> so this talk immediately piqued my interest in the CFP. I was super interested because um, I'm looking for an excuse to spend money on shiny things. And this seemed like the ideal opportunity if I could maybe use it for work. To be fair, also... I think I've owed you a blog post about how I work on an <laughs> iPad for like two years, like at least two yeah. Ruby cons, I promise. Yeah, no, I've been pestering. It's true. I've got some very specific questions and some very general questions. Obviously, we saw the stuff that mostly works. Were yes. there any things that you've tried that absolutely did not work? Any approaches to using it that, that failed magnificently? I did briefly talk about how running Ruby on the iPad just was an abject failure. Like it's just, it's a non-starter. You can't do it. I did download a bunch of really sketchy apps that purported to run Ruby and they did sort of run Ruby, but it's in a learn to code kind of mode. And I was thinking like, well, maybe, maybe if I could bring in some gems and maybe there's a way I could make a Ruby project run within another Ruby project. And it just, it, it's not happening because none of them really have like network access per se. So right. it, it, for a hot second, I was like, well, then maybe if I could just get my files to the iPad, there's a, a great Git client called Working Copy. Maybe if I used Working Copy to bring down my files and then if I somehow got them into the file system of this like learn to code Ruby thing. Maybe, I, no, it just, it did not work at all. I could write hello world and that was like it. No. So that was, that was not great. The other kind of gigantic failure that I was going to talk about and didn't in the talk was there's a project called ish, I-S-H. It's a project to get a Linux shell environment running locally on an iOS device. And the way they're doing it is with, user mode x86 emulation and i am reading that off the website because i don't really know what it means it's a unix <laughs> thing unix things best unix I can, things. yeah best i can tell what they're doing is they're emulating an x86 process inside an ios application so 
That sounds really slow. And as it turns out, it is really, really slow. They're using Alpine Linux, which is a very, very stripped down Linux distribution. You have to install everything. One of the benefits of Alpine Linux is that it's built for ARM and Hmm. the uh, iOS devices are all ARM devices. So it does run. I don't know why they have to do it that way because they're emulating x86. I'm not quite sure about the technical details behind it. If this sounds like too good to be true, that's because it is. This will never get approved for the App Store. Like, look, we can't even get that hey email client approved for the App Store. <laughs> There's no way this like I'm running a Linux shell is going to get past App Store review. So you have to either build it in Xcode and send it over to your iPad manually or enroll in their uh, developer test flight beta. And the way those work are when you're running betas on the, on iOS, you basically get a hundred slots. So to be fair, this developer, he like kicks the oldest people out of the beta, like every week or two. So you'll go to open this application and it'll be like, Oh no, you were kicked out of the beta. Like, Oh, great. It does not let you do real work TM, does it? It does not. The (laughs) other problem is that it's it's so insanely slow. You're basically running an emulator on an emulator. And if whatever you want to run isn't already compiled for ARM, you need to compile it. There was a Ruby available, but I think it's like Ruby 2.4. I want 2.7. I gave up after about two hours of letting the compiler it took forever. And I I did never get it to run. So that was that was a huge fail as well. So you mentioned ARM there. We are, not only are we two white guys talking about Apple stuff, we're also talking about Apple stuff in the week of WWDC. Groundbreaking. <laughs> so, groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> so uh, your take on the new ARM Max, do you think they will fulfill some of what you're looking for from the iPad as a development device or are you ambivalent? I mean, like as a Mac user, I, and I am definitely still a Mac user. As a Mac user, I'm really excited for the ARP transition. I think what they're going to be able to ship is going to be incredible. So the developer kit that's coming out is basically the A12, which is the current processor in the iPad Pro, and they've stuck it into a Mac mini body. And if you ever look at any stats or performance specs, For single-threaded performance, multi-core performance, the current iPad Pro processor keeps up with MacBook Pro processors pretty well. It's really hard to compare them because you're on two different operating systems, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. I'm really excited to see like what the performance of that is. And we're not really going to be able to tell because one of the things in the developer kit agreement is that you are expressly prohibited from running benchmarking tools on it and making that information public. Like they've like they've cut this off in the past. They know some Yahoo from Twitter is going to get their hands on one of these, is <laughs> going to want to like, you know, like run a performance tool on it. So we're not going to know what the performance is like for a while, but I suspect it's going to be a huge leap forward in performance. I also expect it's going to be a huge leap forward in battery life for portable mm. Macs. That's something I bump into a lot. A reason I like prefer taking my iPad with me when I travel is that the battery life is just so much better and the heat is so much like lower. You don't have to have mm. a fan blowing, et cetera. In terms of software, I think we're still going to see a separation between iPad OS and Mac OS. Now, I, I've been listening to a lot of the chatter on Twitter and a lot of Mac users are salty over the new look and feel of Mac OS Big Sur yeah. that it, it looks like kind of an iPadification of it. Meanwhile, on the iPad side, we got such groundbreaking features as <laughs> sidebars and like, where, where did they get an idea from <laughs> sidebars and drop down menus like just yeah. just it, it, it wasn't a great year for iPad OS. The keynote. <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest, but I'm I think going forward, I'm really excited to see what 
there's there's already been software cross pollinization. You're seeing you know the design language kind of go back and forth between these two. I'm excited to see where the hardware goes. Like for example, there's been an iMac refresh rumored for a while now. What would it be like if they just took the current iPad, made it a 27 inch screen? stuck it on a stand and said, boom, there's your iMac. That would be incredible. Do I think they will ever let it run iOS? Uh, I don't know, but I'm excited about maybe some of the cool, weird stuff we might get out of this. One of the interesting things for me is that they'll be able to save a bunch of money, which means the bottom end laptops get cheaper. And the fact they can run iOS stuff means actually gaming on a Mac gets better rather bizarrely. Like, I don't know if you, I don't know if you've tried to run Fortnite on I mean, I, I play a lot of video games. I don't know if you've tried to run Fortnite on your, you know, two grand MacBook Pro versus running on an on an iPad Pro, and it's so much better on an iPad Pro. <laughs> it's it's sort of embarrassing. I I haven't. So I haven't I like run, that that, yeah. that angle, I think, is an interesting one. I haven't run Fortnite. I don't know if you'll like leave this in, but listeners, something shocking about Andy. I recently became Nintendo Switch friends with Andy, and. You learn a lot about a person when you look at their play history, and you have a shocking amount of Fortnite play hours. Yeah, I, I, got, I got it bad. It's amazing. I haven't run Fortnite, but something I have done is I have a subscription to Apple Arcade, and for five bucks a month, you get to play all these cool arcade games on iOS and on iPad, and they run really, really well. And something that a lot of people don't know is that Apple Arcade is also on the Mac. So you can run these same games with a $5 subscription on the Mac. And I've tried to run some of the games on the Mac. And it's awful. Number one, many of them don't have any kind of like configuration. So it just pops up on my 5K display and it's like a slideshow, but it's not great. So I think the performance um, is going to get a lot better. The downside is that we're going to get even farther away from any ability for developers to port games easily to the Mac. OpenGL is going to go away. So it'll just be metal. On ARM, they'll be able to emulate x86 Mac processes, but any kind of talk about emulating Windows processes have been just completely gone. And there's a big question whether boot camp's going to be around as well. Will you be able to boot an R Mac into Windows? I don't think so. Yeah, fair enough. The other angle I thought about was, is there any programming on an Android tablet world out there that I'm missing? I mean, I think, I think, I think the bigger question is, are Android tablets even a thing anymore? Kindle ones, I think. Just the, just the Kindle ones. Yeah, the Fire ones. There's some Samsung ones. So here's my confession. I had never used an Android phone until like this summer. I never even touched one. You know, get the holy yeah. water out. I'm pure. <laughs> I have a cast off Android phone from my in-laws. And the only reason I wanted it was my gaming addiction this summer has been Animal Crossing. Mm. And there's a way that you can write nfc tags to mimic amiibos amiibos are these cool little figures for the Mm. nintendo switch they're basically nfc tags with some programming in them and something you can do is if you have rewritable nfc tags you can program amiibo information into them without having to spend hundreds of dollars on rare amiibos on ebay this is getting more and more niche i apologize (laughs) (laughs) but on ios you could read NFC tags, but you can't write it. But on Android, because the Android ecosystem is so open and they just don't even care what you put on those phones, there are tons of apps that let you read and write NFC tags. So I have like a very ancient Android phone that lets me write NFC tags. Um, getting back to Android tablets, there aren't a lot of them around anymore. Google seemed to kind of give it up. I find Google hardware so interesting. Every couple of years, they remember that they bought Motorola or that they have a hardware division. They're like, hey, you guys, we could make hardware. Let's do that. And they come up with something hardware-ish. 
and then it it doesn't sell very well or they keep it on the store for way too long. I think maybe I'll buy one, but it never goes on sale and then it just goes away. So not so much Android tablets, but Chrome OS tablets I was kind of interested in. Um, mm. Chrome OS tablets can run Android apps as well. So that's kind of where I think Google has has decided, okay, Android tablets aren't going to be a thing. We have Chrome OS. Chrome OS can run Android applications. Let's do that. Let's go laptop and then dip into tablets versus going phone and moving up to tablets. They released Chrome OS tablet called the Pixel Slate about a year ago. It got not really good reviews. I still think it looks really cool. I'd love to check it out. So I'm going to play with that. We have a recent addition to our household, and this is going to be a very embarrassing story for someone that does work on an iPad. My daughter came to me. She has an iPad. (laughs) It's one of my old iPads. She, I guarantee, is like one of the only seventh graders running a, you know, second generation iPad Pro. (laughs) It's my old one. And Like most children here in the U.S., we were in lockdown and taking schoolwork from home. Her school is a one-to-one Chromebook school, like a lot of school districts are now. And so she had a Chromebook from school, and she really liked it. And the school year was over. She had to hand back her Chromebook. And she was like, Dad, I really miss my Chromebook. I really want to buy a Chromebook. And I was like, you what? Get out of my house, child. And I'm like, but you have this iPad right here. And then she like had her list of complaints and gripes with using an iPad as a seventh grader. Like it just did not. Maybe we should get her on. (sighs) No, she's busy. (laughs) She's grounded. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So she saved up her money. We bought her a Chromebook. It's my deep shame. But on the plus side, I have a Chromebook in the house now that I am totally going to play around with. So I'm very interested to check it out. I personally have got working copy on my iPad oh. and the GoCo edit is the editor that you recommend. And I've had a play around. Those two things for me are good enough that when I go away on holiday, I can do a bug fix. Yeah. Like that's the level that I'm using it at. So I can take the iPad for, you know, for the kids to play on and yeah. me to read a book on holiday. And then, and just in exactly like an Apple ad would suggest that I do. And then... I have the opportunity, you know, something's gone wrong at work and they need me to look at something. I can, I can hop back on if I'm on call. Were there other apps that did a much worse job or apps that were recommended to you, but you didn't get on with for whatever reason? Other options, I suppose. Yeah. So when I first started looking at this, a duo of apps from a company called Panic were recommended to me. Panic is a Mac OS developer for a very, very long time. I love their stuff. They made uh, Transmit, which is an FTP client on on the Mac. They did it for the iOS for for a while. They do a Mac um, editor called Coda, and there's a version of Coda for the iPad. There's also a terminal SSH type program called Prompt that they make. And so Coda and Prompt were recommended to me as this is a really nice experience. It's iPad native. It's lovely. I tried them both out, and I think. I think they would work for some people. As a Rubyist, they didn't really work for me very well. They seemed more suited towards kind of an older web development flow where you're editing some code locally, you send it up to an FTP server, and you don't really have source control. Like this feels like a very 90s way of working, right? Like I I have my files locally, I edit them. It's maybe PHP or CGI scripts or something just really old. I send them off to a server somewhere and they do some stuff. And 
for that kind of workflow, I think Coda works really well, but it it just didn't have a lot of syntax highlighting. There was no SSH support inside the editor. So I had to jump back to prompt. It was just a very clunky workflow. And I didn't love the workflow, which is bad because the actual apps themselves were very slick. You mentioned working copy. I just don't get along with working copy. I don't know what it is. For our listeners, working copy is a Git client. You hook it up to either GitHub or any other Git repository you have. You can see your repository and you can download the files locally on your iPad. It's kind of the missing Git command line. Again, I don't love working with files locally on my iPad. It slows me down. I don't know what it is. I don't love it. So I have it. The number of times I've used it have been very, very, very low. Editor-wise, was just looking at my purchase history. I, <laughs> It's bad. It's, it's real bad. I think I have about 20 code editors that I've purchased. This is also the problem. Software on the iPad is generally much less expensive than on... Uh, Mac OS. So it's basically like candy, especially now I'm not going to coffee shops. So instead of getting a latte, I'll buy four code editors. Like just great. Let's try it. They don't work out. Whatever. It's research. No, no lie. I have about 20 code editors I've tried out. The main one I see brought up over and over is an editor called Textastic. I think feature parity wise with GoCo added, it's really, really close. It has more of a iPad native interface. One of the things I don't like about GoCo added is that I don't know where its interface is from. It kind of looks like, you know, KDE on Linux desktop circa early 2000s. There's a lot of hard edges and mm. they had dark mode and only dark mode before dark mode was a thing. Like it's real, like in your basement hackery. Textastics looks like a native iPad app and yet some of the interactions felt a little clunky to me and they didn't have project-wide file search for a while. And that's navigating by file name is my jam. That's how yeah. I get around really fast. So those are the main ones that I tried out. They're all great apps. I have friends that swear by them. They just didn't fit for me. You say that the way you prefer to do things is a native client on the iPad and then a cloud server and connecting directly to it. How much of your job do you do that way? Is that, do you do lots a day a week, two days a week? I think this is the number one question I get. Even after I tell people about my workflow and I go through it and they're like, yeah, but like, do you really do that? I think people think it's like a performance art thing, right? Like I'm just mm. doing this in a mm. studio somewhere and you're going to, you're <laughs> going to go to the, you know, Museum of Modern Art. You're going to see a, just a video presentation of me working on an iPad. That'd be amazing. I do actually do my job on my iPad. Now I will say, it's pretty situational. I am not a 100% iPad all the time person. I'm recording this podcast on a Mac because of you. Let's be clear. <laughs> Let's be clear. You chose you chose the recording platform. <laughs> Let's talk about two different things. When do I use my iPad and how much can I actually do on it? So first, I can do about 95% of my job on the iPad. There are a few things I cannot do. The irony is um, I do record some podcasts as part of my work at Dev, and podcast recording on an iPad is not great. A web-based recording platform would work for some other types of podcast recording where you record only your audio locally, and you want to listen to someone else's audio on the other side. You want to kind of split your streams and recombine them. You can't do any of that on an iPad without some expensive third-party external boxes. So mm -hmm. for podcast recording, I still use a Mac. External monitor support on the iPad is not great. It really only does mirroring. Um, and it only does it in a four by three 
ratio. So I have a monitor. I could hook my iPad up to it. It'll show large black bars on the side and it'll just be mirroring my cursor. So I'll have my second, I have my actual iPad screen below it showing exactly what the top monitor shows, which I find very, very distracting. So that's not great. If I want to use like a bigger external monitor with and all the ergonomic benefits that come with that, can't do that. And the last thing I can't do on my iPad, I find it so annoying. If I'm doing a video conference, I can share my screen or I can show myself on the camera, but I cannot do both at the same time. For whatever reason, iOS does not allow you to share your screen and have a video feed from your camera at the same time. The other thing that happens is you can't have a camera showing your video if you move away from the video application. So if I'm in, say, Zoom or Skype, and I want to take some quick notes, as soon as I move away from Zoom, my video blanks out. Mm. And this is mildly annoying if I'm talking to my coworkers, but if I'm, say, doing an interview, like if I'm interviewing a a potential candidate for work and I want to take some notes, it's really obvious every time I'm writing something down because my (laughs) video goes blank. It's awful. (laughs) (laughs) So when I do any kind of interviews or stuff like that, I I still use a Mac as well. Ah, Fair enough. The second part is when do I actually use my iPad? It's pretty situational. Right now, I'm stuck at home like a lot of people. I'm not going places. And that was the main kind of use case I had for my iPad was going places. So if I go to a coffee shop, I work on my iPad. It's great. I get great battery life. More importantly, I have an uh, iPad with an LTE connection in it and I pay like 10 bucks a month for a plan. So coffee shop Wi-Fi is frequently terrible and cuts out. So I can just be on my LTE connection and I don't even have to worry about the coffee shop. If I'm on call, my iPad comes with me because LTE is built in. I can be in a car. I can have my husband driving and I'll just pop on and fix whatever. That's fantastic. The other big use case I used was traveling for conferences, for work trips, on vacation. I bring my iPad with me all the time. I haven't brought my Mac with me on a work trip in about two years. And it's it's great. It's smaller. I can actually work on the back of airplane tray tables. And I've got my movies on it. It's like my entertainment machine. It's, it, it's pretty fantastic. Here at home during the pandemic... I kind of still use it the same way, but the places I'm traveling are a lot closer and less exciting. The next room, the yeah, kitchen. My, co- <laughs> my coffee shop is my kitchen uh, counter, literally. And vacation is my balcony. I have a nice chair out of my balcony. And those are the places I travel to. This is so sad. I treat it still as like I'm traveling, but because I have my Mac hooked up to a big monitor and my keyboard and everything, and I have a laptop, but I use it in clamshell mo- most of the time. Everything's all hooked into it. I hate unplugging it. So I basically just treat it as a stationary Mac and I use my iPad as my travel machine. 11 inch or 12.9? I'm the 12.9 club. I had the 10 point. I I think I've had every iPad. It's really embarrassing. I've had every single pro. I did not buy the latest iPad. Listeners, if you're thinking about getting into an iPad pro, if you don't love augmented reality, and I mean, other than those presenters on the Apple keynotes, I don't know who's waving this like one pound (laughs) slate around like playing virtual Legos with their kids. I mean, my, my mother's using it as a camera, but otherwise 
that's also that's a thing <laughs> look into like the older 2018 ipad pros um you can get them refurbished or um on sale for very cheap and they are the exact same processor so i have a 12.9 2018 ipad pro before that i always had the 10 inch models and when i started using my ipad like seriously for work i wanted the extra screen real estate it's really nice for side-by-side mode even just looking at a code editor i can see all my code at once. Mm. I I far prefer it. I know different people have different needs. I will say like, if you're going to have just one iPad, if you do like a lot of like reading or video watching and you like holding your iPad, some people think it's too big. I think I'm just acclimated to it now. And I'm like, oh, that's the size of an iPad. And if I look at my daughter's iPad, I'm just like, what's this teeny little thing? <laughs> it's a scale that you get used to it. All right. And finally, given everything in the world that we are currently living through, <laughs> are you happy? Am I <laughs> Yeah, I real, you know, I realize talking about tablet computing is really the most important thing that we can all be thinking about, right? Is this a personal question? Yeah, I like to find out this weird conference thing. For me, it's not been as good, but it has been fun. And like having these conversations with people gives me a tiny bit of what having all of you lovely folks down to Brighton would be. So like, yeah, this stuff makes me happy. And so I sort of I'm hoping that other people are happy despite the stuff that's going on. Yeah, seeing you, talking with you, doing the conference, that that has been that's made me happy. I will say I've worked remotely for over a decade and I live in a pretty rural area. So I've heard some people talk about like, wow, maybe maybe this is the future of conferences. Maybe we won't have to travel anymore for conferences. And as someone that does not live near user groups or other technical users, I hope that's not true. Like I live for travel. <laughs> it is my it is my escape. I absolutely look forward to conferences. It's the only time I have to meet up with people in person. I have not gotten on the social Zoom bandwagon just because working remotely, I spend a lot of my day in Zoom calls. So the, my mother had called me up the other day and she's like, hey, we should do a Zoom hangout with the family sometime. Not unless you're paying me because Zoom to me is work. I'm not going to play a card game with you over Zoom. I'm sorry. It's not happening. <laughs> so this is this is close though. You know, I'm still coming to Brighton next year. It's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Even if I have to get at an Airbnb and just like, you know, podcast from a room, if we're all still in quarantine, <laughs> God help me. But I hope we can travel again soon. I think this is okay for now. I want to speak on behalf of those of us that are team conference and team travel and team team extrovert. Like, man, this is a hard time to be an extrovert. All my friends that are introverts are like, this is amazing. I've been preparing my whole life. I have my snacks. I have my Netflix. I have my bubble bath. I'm doing a nine-month charge up, and I'm going to come out of this so powered up. And extroverts like myself are shouting to people in the street from my balcony. I'm waving furiously to strangers in their houses when I walk my dogs. Go check out the extroverts in your life. Check on an extrovert, folks. Really, reach out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks very much for chatting with me. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see each other soon. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for doing Bright and Ruby this year. Thanks a lot for listening. See you next time.